been here before for too many days. Welcome to another episode of A Stone's Throw Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Ebling. I recently spoke with Shauna Berg, who suffered not one, not even two, but three traumas within three years. This Minnesota wife and mother of two has faced an uphill climb few others have had to take on, having survived two severe vehicle collisions and a battle with cancer. Shauna, who grew up a military brat and currently works in youth and family ministry at a Twin Cities Lutheran Church, shares with us how she has managed an ongoing disease and chronic pain from her injuries, and maybe more importantly, how she answers the question, why me? Shauna, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. You have a very interesting story. There are, of course, many, many people who go through trauma, but you've had the, I don't know what you would call it, misfortune of having multiple traumas within a relatively short period of time. So I'm very interested to talk with you and really kind of understand how you've managed that journey. Let's just first talk about the first incident. And in April of 2013, you were involved in a car accident. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, in April of 2013, I was going to work. Um, I'm a youth minister. I was going, er, it was early in the morning, I was headed to work. And um, a car that was making a left turn on a flashing yellow arrow um, T-boned me. And um, it didn't seem at the time like it possibly was as bad of an accident as it ended up being. Um, it shook me up pretty bad. I was sent to the hospital. They told me I had a neck injury. Um, I was real sore. I had injured my leg. I was in a neck brace for a while. Um, and I was pretty shook up by the incident. Uh, but it turned out in the next few weeks and um, months to find out that uh, the injury to my neck was pretty substantial and that I required a surgery to fuse together um, three of the vertebrae in my neck. So from the course of between April and November, um, I was resisting that surgery and did some conservative therapies. Okay. <laughs> sure, I can understand that. <laughs> I really, really you did, did not want to have that surgery, mm-hmm. um, but ended up finally um, at the end of November going through a pretty substantial surgery to fuse together um, three of the vertebrae in my neck. And then a pretty long recovery period after that surgery, uh, which which was a lot tougher than I expected that surgery to be and the recovery to be. What was the physical recovery like? Um, it was it was very difficult because the surgery was really pain. The surgery itself was very painful. Um, and I wasn't able to swallow or, or move much at all. Uh, and I wasn't able to get up, it threw my balance off. And I was used to being very independent. I had young kids and uh, I had to take off a significant amount of time off of work. Mm-hmm. 
and that was that was a hardship as well and so it just kind of threw me into a tailspin because I didn't really know I didn't really think the accident was that bad okay <laughs> so it sounds like perhaps you weren't prepared or didn't understand how much a loss of control would affect you absolutely um I because I had gone into the hospital on the day of the accident and they let me go home and so in my mind I thought well if it was really that bad it I would have stayed and things would have been a lot worse and so when it turned out to be a lot more significant um, trauma that that was challenging for me how long did your physical recovery take until you were able to, I guess, quote unquote, be normal or go back to work or do the things that you needed to do? I was able to go back to work um, in February, but then I still wasn't able to move the way that I was normally able to. Um, my range of motion with my neck was limited, which made things like driving challenging. Um, it made lots of the activities that I did with my kids more challenging. Um, and so I was going through continued physical therapy. Um, and that was almost a year then. Right? Yeah. And so it was, it was just a really long process. And I was getting kind of depressed because I just thought it would go a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it really wasn't. <laughs> so, okay. So then, um, so then it was probably about a year later than that you got the diagnosis. Yeah. Right. It was, it was really just as things were starting to get on a more even keel. Um, I went to the doctor because I'd been having some stomach pains and I wasn't quite sure what was going on with that. Um, and they did some testing and um, referred me to several different places and then ultimately decided that they needed to do a biopsy because they were concerned about some lymph nodes that they saw. Um, when they did that biopsy, they came back with a diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and that was really scary for me because I, I just thought, okay, I just was starting to feel a little bit normal again. And now all of a sudden you're telling me I have cancer. And I'd had friends that walked through cancer diagnosis before. And I sat down with the doctor and then they started explaining to me that this particular cancer was something called a chronic cancer. And so... That doesn't sound like a good word. No. <laughs> right. And so they said, they said that um, it is not a cancer that is usually curable um, and that I would probably have to be treated for this cancer several times throughout my life. Um, that and that each time you receive treatment the treatment becomes less and less effective 
And so they said, we're really, really careful about how many times we go through treatment on this cancer. And so your symptoms have to get really bad before we start to treat. Because otherwise, we're making it less effective. Right. At least at where we're at right now with this particular cancer. And they said, you know, treatments may change. And so they said, right now we're going to do nothing. So, how, so <laughs> okay, I'm trying to process this. It's yeah. Because I, I, I've never had cancer, but I can assume that if you're told you have cancer, you want that out of your body as fast as possible, right? And you're yeah. being told the opposite. How does your mind kind of wrap itself around that? That uh, was mind-boggling to me because my other friends or family members that I knew that had cancer, it was like you found out you had cancer and you started treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of like, okay, let's start treating this. Let's do this. And they said, no, not yet. Okay. You just need to know that you have this. And um, then when it gets much worse, we'll do your first treatment. And so then I did what's probably the worst thing you ever do, which was get on Google. <laughs> And then you start to find out like things where they say, oh, your life expectancy is shortened. And, and then I started to do calculations of like, oh, well, based on what I'm reading, will I see my kids graduate from school? Will I see my kids get married? And, and that was really, that was really, really hard for me. Um, it was another four months, five months after my diagnosis when it got bad enough to have my first treatment. Okay. Um, what, what, what does treatment consist of? So this treatment was um, a form of immunotherapy similar to chemo, um, where I went in for infusions um, several times each week and did at the at the chemo center and then my I had very very severe reactions to it um, which then they told me well we're not sure this is gonna work for you and so I did like half of the scheduled treatments and then they said well your lymph nodes shrunk a little bit. We're going to call this a win. But we don't know if you'll be able to have that treatment again. Mm. Okay. But this is the really best treatment that's out there. <laughs> so I thought, okay, great. At this point, I haven't had to have another treatment. But okay. I go in every six months. Um, and have another scan. Okay. And they say, well, your lymph nodes are growing, but we're not quite ready yet. And if we do, we don't know what we're going to do. What, what goes... <laughs> wow. Um, so every six months, you're, you're going mm -hmm. in for screening. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself 
just prior to that screening, like how does that affect you? What are your emotions as you are preparing to go into a screening and not knowing what they're going to find? Yeah, I have a lot of anxiety about it. The last two, they had me come in every three months because my my lymph nodes were growing again. Okay. And, um, but they're still a little perplexed about what they're going to do about it because I didn't react well to the treatment. And then you just kind of go, okay, well, <laughs> what are we going to do about it? But yet you want to try to keep living your life as much as you possibly can. Um, but it definitely causes a lot of anxiety for me. Okay. Not to, not knowing what to expect and then what we're going to do about it. So that happens in March of 2015, yeah. the diagnosis. Then in April of 2016, you're involved in a second accident. Yeah. And this one was the big, the big one. Um, it kind of makes all of the, the rest of it seem like nothing in retrospect. Um, in April of 2016, I was again driving to work. Um, and um, there was a woman that was on her phone and ran a red light and T-boned me going about 55 miles an hour. I never saw her coming. I never, I, I don't have any recollection of seeing the car coming. It was pretty severe accident in which um, my neck was broken and all of the, pretty much all of the bones in my arm and wrist and right leg Pretty much everything on the right side of my body was shattered. My recollection of that accident is I have brief moments of hearing a couple of voices at the scene where there was somebody saying, I heard a voice saying we need to get her out of the car. Um, someone else said, I think her neck's broken. We shouldn't move her. And then I heard a voice say, the car's starting on fire. We need to get her out anyways. Um, and I had a brief thought in my head of, well, that's it. It's going to explode. I'm going to die. And then I have nothing until being at HCMC. I, I don't have a recollection of how or what happened next and how I got to HCMC um, and then I have some brief in and outs of people working on me and lots of people <laughs> and coming in and out of consciousness um, I was in HCMC in critical care for uh, four weeks and then I was moved from HCMC to a long-term rehab center um, where I was there until September. So my recollections of that time, really fuzzy, my time at HCMC. I was highly medicated. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. <'Cause> you... 
And, um, and I had lots and lots of surgeries. And so I was in a halo for 12 weeks as part of that because of my neck. And then lots of surgeries to put hardware in kind of, I'm, I kind of joke that I'm a lot of bionic because of all of the hardware they had to put in. Finally, I was able to come home out of the long-term care, like I said, in, around September. Um, so that so, was Yeah, that was about half a year then. Yeah, it was a long time. Wow. Long time. And then after that, uh, was diagnosed with PTSD and had a lot of issues dealing with the trauma that had kind of come from all of that in a short amount of time and especially um, some of the events reliving the accident and so do you do uh, have flashbacks yeah what have you noticed what seems to trigger the flashbacks yeah well for one thing spring (laughs) because both of my car accidents happened in April. Um, I get really anxious when April rolls around. Um, I kind of, the time of year just makes me start to think that something bad's going to happen again. Okay. When I see or hear about a car accident on the news or I drive by a car accident, um, that can trigger anxiety for me do you try to avoid the scenes of the accidents that you were at? I try to if I can <laughs> if I know about it enough or if I see there's an accident up ahead and I can turn off and get away from it I definitely try to or if I hear them say they're going to talk about one on the news I turn it off how have you uh, addressed the emotional issues? You say you were diagnosed, so yeah. um, have you um, been counseling or, or yeah. what, what, what sort of things have you done to try to, I guess, better understand the PTSD? I spent a long time after the accident in counseling try, trying to figure out how I could um, deal with the fact that I was really angry at people. And that's when they explained to me a little bit more about the fact that I had PTSD. Um, I was kind of angry at the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was angry at... um, Why were you angry at the world? I was angry because I didn't think it was fair that all this crap had happened to me, for one thing. And... Then I was angry because I was angry because some people didn't respond in the way that I thought they should have to me or to the situation or the, or in ways that were helpful. And that made me angry. Even though in some retrospect, I can see that most of them were doing the best that they could. Um, but at the time, it just made me angry. <laughs> Some people would describe uh, feeling, I guess, emotionally numb. 
did you experience that? Yeah, I think I went through phases of being really mad and then really just numb about it, feeling like it's not fair and then feeling like I, yeah, like I just didn't care about a lot of things, uh, distancing myself from a lot of things emotionally. Did that have an effect on your family relationships, say your yeah. kids or your husband? Yeah, I think it had an effect on all of my relationships um, because I, I just distanced myself. Um, part of it was, I think I felt like if I, I, part of me thought about, you know, uh, I could have hurt everybody so much by not being around. And if I distanced myself, then if that happened, it wouldn't be as painful to everybody. When I think of the trauma journey, I can't help sort of think of that game, board game, Shoots and Ladders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a person who's facing a single trauma, that journey up the, up the, down the mm -hmm. ladder uh, in the shoot can uh, seem like a lot. But you really had to do three times mm -hmm. in a very short amount of time. Did you ever get to a point where you were thinking, like, you know, I, I just want to give up. I just can't really do this anymore. Yeah. I've often said that when I've talked about this with some people that if it's the only time that I've ever contemplated suicide was during my stint in the long-term care rehab. And I'm a person that in my earlier years I worked in like crisis counseling, like suicide hotline. And so I'm like one of those people that I know the, all the warning signs and all the things. And, and here you're seeing them in yourself. And here I was seeing them in myself. Like if I would have had an actual way to accomplish it, I, I could have seen myself doing it. But I couldn't move. Like I was like practically in a body cast. <laughs> And there was nothing that I could physically have done. But if I could have, I probably would have. And that was really hard to realize. And to say, wow, that was dark. That was a dark, dark time. How do you find the inner strength or motivation to start climbing that ladder a second time or a third time even? Where does that come from? For me, part of it was my faith, ultimately, um, and then my kids. Uh, I think that if, if I didn't have them, I might not have found the strength. But to say, uh, that's not really the legacy I want to leave for them. And I want to try to show them something different. And having faith to say, okay, this really, really sucks, but I do believe that hopefully things will get better at some point. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Have these three events been spread across 
a longer period of time, say you know, 20 years instead right. of three years. Yeah. Uh, do you think it would have been easier or harder to deal with? Well, that's a great question. I'd like to think it would be easier, but maybe not. I mean, maybe just because I was in crisis mode <laughs> the whole time, uh, maybe that made it okay. But the interesting thing about them happening so close together was kind of the response of that I got from people. Some of it more helpful, but some of it less helpful was people saying like, what did you what have you done to deserve this and some sometimes in a helpful way like man in an empathetic way like that's that's just too much and some people like really like what kind of like bad vibes are you putting out into the world that this is what you're getting back and those are the people that you just want to punch in the face (laughs) you're kind of insinuating that you deserve that absolutely and there was there was a a lot more of that out there than um, than I would have thought there would be. And people that I respected and thought highly of that kind of gave that vibe off. Like, you must have done something that, something wrong that makes you d- deserve that. Like, God's punishing you or... Well, what, what role did faith play in your recovery? Uh, do you think your recovery would have been different if you say you weren't religious? I was mad at God, but early on in my life, I was told that that's okay. <laughs> you can be mad at God. I think if I didn't have that foundation, that would have been a different story. Um, and I was real mad. <laughs> Because I didn't, I, I was kind of like, oh, this is not really very fair. But for me, the faith part came in where um, there's a story in the Bible where it talks about uh, the wise man and the foolish man builds his house on the rock and the sand, and the storms come, and the wise man's house like stays firm, and the foolish man's house gets washed away. And so that was one of the stories I sort of held on representing like, okay, if you have faith and you've built your house on something strong, that at the end of this, you're still going to have a house, even though you have all this crappy storm. And so that was what I was holding on to that like life doesn't promise us uh, life free of storms. We all have the storms, whether we're living a good life, not living a good life, whatever we're basing our foundation on. But hopefully if we have a solid foundation, at the end of it, we're still standing. Our house doesn't collapse. (laughs) And that's what I kept like holding on to, like saying, this is the storm and it sucks and it's, it's rocky, but... For me, my faith was telling me that if I, if I hold on, at the end, this will all be standing still. Well, where or who do you turn to for your support? Um, I had 
um, a real solid group group of some friends, um, some friends that I've had since college, a, a small group of them that really, they rallied in a way that I would have never expected and that was really helpful. And another group of friends that I had met after college that really surrounded my family, um, people in the town that we live that uh, looked out for my kids and brought meals and and those people have been continued support just really great support through all of that and they continue they do continue to be support have you been able to answer the why me question not not well although I I do ask myself why not me I mean <laughs> Why anyone? I don't know that there's a good answer to why anyone has to go through the crap that life deals us. I don't really buy into the the notion that people are sort of chosen for it or, you know, picked because they need to learn some great lesson. I think it's much more random than that. <laughs> and I... But I do think that when bad stuff happens, that you can use it and try to make good come out of it. But I don't necessarily think there's some great force, God or whatever, whoever, whatever you want to call it, that is out there saying, you, Shauna, you need to learn some lessons so I'm going to make something bad happened to you today mm -hmm. are you healed no gosh no <laughs> i wish i think that's the hardest part is i wish there was just a magic healing moment i mean just today before i came here i was at physical therapy for the umpteenth round trying to work on some stuff um, to get some more range of motion in my neck and also a hoop that we have to go through to get some injections at a pain clinic and it just seems like it's ongoing forever <laughs> what do you do then uh, what are you doing to take care of yourself yeah I um, I'm I continue to see a doctor. I try to do some regular uh, different stretching exercises, things that the doctors give me to try to give me some more range of motion in some of the areas that I struggle with. I try to do things for mental health as far as... Um, spending time with some of the people that have remained positive um, influences in my life. And I try to make sure I'm taking time with them frequently uh, because that makes a huge difference in how I'm feeling when I do that. Going through trauma, obviously there's the physical recovery mm -hmm. and there's the emotional recovery. Mm -hmm. If you had the option, and we don't, but if you had the option and you only had to do one of those two, 
which would you prefer mm. to do and which would you therefore not prefer not to do? I would love to be completely physically healed because I think then some of that emotional recovery would come a lot easier. <laughs> pain takes a toll. Chronic pain takes a huge toll. Where do you have pain today? Um, I always have pain in my neck. I always have pain in my wrist and my leg. Um, and yeah, I think that just takes a huge toll on your mental state. Do you have, this might be kind of an odd question, maybe yeah. my wild card question. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> do you have any regrets when it comes to how you've handled this journey? There were several points throughout my recovery where I pretended like I was in a better place than I was. And I wasn't real honest about either the mental place that I was at or the pain that I was going through. And also projected that I was more ready to do things than I probably was. Things like, um, I probably went back to work sooner than I should. And then didn't perform my job as well as I probably should because I had no business being back to work. I probably just wasn't as honest with the people close to me about how well I was doing. And I probably still am not because I like to, I just like to project that I'm doing I'm great because <laughs> it's easier sometimes and I don't like to be a complainer okay uh, we're <laughs> to the last question uh -huh. um, what do you wish people would understand about you that you feel gets missed in regard to how this journey has either affected you or changed you I am not the same person um, that I was before trauma but I am, there are some things that I think are changed for the better uh, in who I am and how I understand people that have gone through trauma and people that are going through diff difficult times. Um, I think that people don't understand how how exactly challenging the whole process is and and how difficult it is even now um, and don't have a lot of empathy for that um, but I also want them to just to still I still long for some of the same relationships that I had before and they're different. And that's hard. Can you explain just a little bit on what you mean by that? Yeah. There are just people that I don't see as much anymore or don't interact in the same way anymore. Um, part of that is I can't do some of the same things I used to do. Um, so that's changed some relationships. Um, Part of that is I, there are people that now 
it just seems like over the course of that trauma, our relationship changed. And I'm not entirely sure why it changed, (laughs) but it makes me sad. And I wish that didn't have to be that way. I think part of it is that they feel like I'm a different person since then. And I think that's probably true that I am. Um, and I don't know how to get some of those relationships back when I'm, I am a different person. Okay, Shauna, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And of course I wish you all the best moving forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Stone's Throw. If you have been on a journey through trauma or are connected to somebody who has and would like to share that story as a way to help others, please contact me at greenwhistleinc at gmail.com. That's greenwhistleinc at gmail.com. You can also visit my website at greenwhistleinc.com. Until next time.